Let us start in a word of prayer here, and we will move into Galatians two fifteen through 21. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are God of all creation. We thank you that we can be here and that your presence is here with us. Lord, that you live in us, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to speak to us. And Lord, it is your will that all is done. Lord, it is not by our will. God, I ask that uh, as we look at this text today, Lord, that you would speak through me and that we would understand what is being given here. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Amen. Galatians two, fifteen through 21. We are coming out of this top section, starting in verse 11, where Peter has defected. And we come to verse 15. He's defected in, in of going to eat with the Jews and separating himself from the Gentiles. And Paul says this here, starting in verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. In this section of Galatians, Paul is defending his apostleship. As we saw last time, Paul gave us an example of his true apostleship. And in fact, he had to rebuke Peter for his actions. They were dividing the Jews and the Gentile believers. One thing that I believe we need to keep in mind is that this rebuke is not Paul trying to exercise dominance or authority or even demonstrate hostility. Paul is not bringing this argument to bear out selfish motives or ambition. This is something that was necessary to keep unity and love amongst the believers in the Galatian churches. This rebuke was done in love, not in strife. Paul had an overwhelming love for the church. He did not want Peter or any of the people who were following him to stand in this condemned state. But Paul did not want the church to be fractured. He did not want Peter and the Jews to be viewed as hypocrites. He certainly did not want the church to stand divided 
before an unbelieving world. Paul understood how damaging that would be for the testimony of the church and the furtherance of the gospel. As we come to verse 15, Paul is addressing Peter and the Jews, giving them the truth of how believers are justified. And he makes this statement. Verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. This is a powerful, powerful statement. This is a very powerful statement. It says a lot. But to understand this statement, we need to understand what the culture and the time was. The time and the culture that Paul lived in, the Jews, they had an elevated view of themselves in the world. When Paul says that we are Jews by nature, there came a certain amount of pride to those of Jewish heritage. After all, the Jews were the chosen people of God, weren't they? Through their father Abraham, God gave the promise of the Messiah and redemption. It was the Jews that were given the law of God through Moses that you could know the difference between good and evil and you could be reconciled to God. From birth, the Jews taught their children that if you follow the law that God gave to them, you observe the rites and the holidays, you give sacrifices for your atonement and your sins, that you could be right with God. And from a legal standpoint, the Jews recognized that the Gentiles did not have the law of God. None of the Gentiles had the law of God, and they didn't have the law of God to guide them morally And therefore, they were viewed as sinners by nature. And that's what we see here. We are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. They viewed the Gentiles as sinners by nature. And you see, the Jews believed that they were special because they've been given the law of God. And they believed that he viewed them as people who were not barbaric sinners, as they did believe that he viewed the Gentiles. Now the Jews did acknowledge that they had sin. They had sin in their life. That's why they had to make atonement. But they believed that they could do these atonement works, they could do all these works to appease God through the following of the law. And many times they took their mindset to an extreme And they made laws saying that they were not to associate with the Gentiles because they presumed that the Gentiles were unclean. And we see this divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we see this from very early on. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. Verses 1 through 16. A little bit of background here. Abraham was promised a son by God. And it didn't seem that his timing was going well enough for Abraham and Sarah, his wife. So therefore, 
they decided they needed to help God out. So we see this in verses 1 through 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian maid, the Egyptian her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said, To her I will greatly multiply your descendants, so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees, for she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Haralai. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So we see that Abram has been given a son through Hagar, Ishmael. And in ancient times, it is understood that the firstborn son of a man was to be the heir of that man. And we are told here that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. And this is where the feud begins. Sarah, Sarai, her name Sarah later on, despises Hagar. She treats her harshly. Because she's now pregnant with her husband's child. But it is promised of Ishmael that he will be the father of 12 princes. And that's in Genesis 17:20. God gives that promise to Ishmael. It says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. 
But in verse 21, it says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So here's where the conflict begins. God gives Abraham two sons. He has Ishmael by Hagar, his wife's maidservant. And now he has a son through Sarah who will be the one who gets the covenant, who has established the covenant through. And to this day, those people have a war. They have a war to this day. In Genesis 17, God establishes his covenant with Abraham. The sign of the covenant is that all the males of his household are circumcised. This included Ishmael, who was 13 years old at the time. Later on in Genesis 21, 1 through 13, we have Isaac, who is now born of Sarah. At the time, Sarah drives out Hagar. We see this, 21, 1 through 13. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and at the appointed time of which God has spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 120 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day of, that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named, and the son of the maid I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So both of Abraham's descendants are to be nations. But the covenant as an heir is to be through Isaac. And this is a big sticking point between the two peoples even to this day, because the people who are the descendants of Ishmael say, we were the firstborn of Abraham, so therefore we should be theirs. And Isaac stole that from us. So they are warring today, and that is part of this ordeal between Jews and Gentiles. We also see in Scripture... The mindset of Jewish people, Jonah 1, 1 through 13. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great 
city and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which had gone to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into to it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Sorry, that was 1 through 3, not 1 through 13. So we see that Jonah has been called by God to preach repentance to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. These were Gentiles, and Jonah wanted no part of it. One thing that uh, is interesting about Jonah also is that he is the only Jewish prophet recorded to have preached and prophesied to Gentiles. And so... We have Jonah called by God to preach repentance to Gentiles. And he wants no part of it. He wants no part of it. So what does he do? He flees in the opposite direction. Jonah is said to be fleeing from the presence of God. Later on, we know that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, vomited onto dry land. And God tells Jonah a second time to go and preach repentance to Nineveh. And this time he was obedient. But in chapter 3, we see that the whole city of Nineveh was repentant from their evil ways. But what's the response of Jonah? He just preached repentance to these Gentiles. He's done what God has told him to do. And usually you would find somebody in the will of God happy about it. But Jonah says in Jonah 4, 1 through 3, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah knew what God would do. Jonah knew that he was going to save these Gentiles from destruction. Jonah knew that this message of repentance was going to be brought before these Gentiles. And what's his response? Because he did this, it is better for him to be dead. It's better for him to be dead than to live with the fact that his preaching to these people brought them to a repentant heart before God. He would have rather been dead And this is an attitude that keeps moving on amongst the Jews throughout history. Acts 11, 1 through 3 says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? This is the attitude of the Jews. Peter goes and gives the gospel to Gentiles. This is a rejoiceful and wonderful thing. These people, they took 
the word of God and they were saved. They took the preaching of Christ and they were saved. And we know that Peter had great joy in all this. And Peter had this vision from God in chapter 10 to go to the uncircumcised. That they are now clean because God makes them that way. And what's to get? These people in Jerusalem come to him saying, we have issues with you. We have issues with you. Why are you going and eating with these uncircumcised Gentiles? Why are you going and doing this? You know that you're not supposed to do that. And it explains a little more in Acts 10.28. He said as he went to Cornelius' house after his vision, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit with them. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Peter says, this is unlawful for me to even do this, for me to even be standing here in your house. This is unlawful of the laws of Israel, the laws of the Jews. They supposed that Gentiles were unclean because they did not follow Jewish standards. They ate animals that were not considered to be clean. They had idols. They had cultural practices of day-to-day living. And this justified the Jewish religious leaders to consider them as defiled, call them sinners. And therefore, the Jews were not to associate with them, lest they may be considered defiled. And we see this example in John eighteen twenty-eight. It says, they were bringing Jesus... Before Pilate, it says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. The religious leaders led Jesus to the praetorium to have him executed, to have him judged and executed, And they would not enter the place because it was a Gentile place. They felt they were going to be defiled by Gentiles and they wouldn't be able to eat the Passover. The divide and the hatred of the Jews towards the Gentiles and vice versa was huge. Yet, we know that Israel was to bring the truth of God to the world. They've been commissioned to do that. They were to be as we are to proclaim the Messiah, the redemption of the world. That was to be through them. We see this in Isaiah 42, 6. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people as a light to the nations. They were to be a light to the nations. 
Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should come to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's obvious that Israel had no intentions of doing this. They hated the Gentiles. They didn't want to bring salvation to them. We saw that with Jonah. They were more interested in keeping God all to themselves. They didn't want to proclaim salvation to the world. They didn't want to be the light to the world. And this was so ingrained in the Jewish mindset that it freaked Paul out, it freaked the apostles out to think that Gentiles could be saved. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. Paul's speaking here. And this is something that's just completely amazing. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says, this has been a mystery. This has been a mystery to the Jews. They did not understand this. And it's obvious they didn't understand it. Because they wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. How could Jews and Gentiles both be given the saving grace of Jesus Christ? The Jews completely missed this. They were convinced that they were the only chosen ones of God. That no one else could be in their club. But you know what's really strange? We looked at Jonah. And the highest, holiest Jewish holiday, which is Yom Kippur, Jonah is recited. Yom Kippur themes on atonement and repentance. And the book of Jonah is read to remind them that God loves everyone, no matter your nationality, and that he will bring salvation to the entire world, including the Gentiles. And that all of those who repent and turn to God away from their sin will be saved. 
And this holiday has been nothing new. It was nothing new at the time. It was nothing new to the Jews at this time. And yet, they don't want to even concede that the Gentiles could be saved. They've been told this all their life, once a year. And yet the Gentiles are of pagan pigs to them. How'd they miss it? How'd they miss it? Every year. Every year. You know how they missed it? It said the longest journey you will ever take is 18 inches from your head to your heart. We do this all the time. We know what Scripture says. We know what God says. And yet, we act the opposite. Lots of us do it. I do it. I've done it. Peter is standing, according to Paul, condemned because he did it. And when you do it, you're without excuse. To know something is way different than to believe it. You can know the truth, but until you believe it, until God gives you the ability to believe it, you won't live by it, you won't walk in it. Until you believe it, you will not walk in the truth. That's what Paul's telling the Jews here. That's what Paul's telling the Jews. They're Jews. They have the law. They have no excuse. They have no excuse. From their birth as Jews, they were given God's law, which shows us our sin. They had the scriptures, which proclaims to us that the Gentiles are part of the salvation plan of God. But did they live it? They weren't doing it at that moment. The fact that they knew it means that they were without excuse. And they were condemning themselves. As Paul has stated in Galatians 2.11, And we too are without excuse if we do things like this. We are to be united with all the believers from all the nations under the gospel of Christ. Do you believe that? Because if you do, or if you don't, it'll show. It'll show. Don't stand like Peter did here. Don't stand like Peter did. And don't be pulled away like the others who followed him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. God, you have joined both 
Jew and Gentile, under your salvation. Lord, you have brought us all together in unity in Christ. Lord, it's nothing that we do. Lord, we sin, we defect, we walk away from things, we do things that we know we're not supposed to. And by those actions, we say something different. But Lord, I also know that you are a God of forgiveness. And Lord, there's never a time that we cannot repent from that. Those of us who are saved, Lord, we we know that you are forgiving and that all of our sins have been forgiven us throughout all eternity. Lord, I thank you that you've given us this word. I thank you for everything you've done for us. I ask that we would walk in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.